It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest And a very good morning to you. Our lines are open, 1850-333-103. Bernie taking those comments across the show. If you want to comment or raise something on this, this morning's show, you can always text or WhatsApp on 0862-103-103. Or you can tweet across the programme at C103Cork on Twitter. Ahead on the programme, something we touched on yesterday, got a lot of calls and comments on this. And we'll be speaking with the Environmental Protection Agency because they say the burning of solid fuels, such as home fires and how many of us love to go home to a cosy fire, especially on nights like we've had over the last three or four nights, cold wintry nights, uh, beautiful sunsets and beautiful sunrises we're all uh, experiencing at the moment, but it is leading to a very cold evening and cold nights and because of that, most people I'm sure are are having uh, the fire on and throwing the logs and the coal and whether you're in an area where it's smokeless coal or smoky coal, uh, people I'm sure have coal in their fire. Anyhow, uh, this is leading to poor air quality in a lot of towns across the country and also here in Cork. McCroom had the poorest air quality over the last week. Also areas of Glamire and the city north side such as Ballyvalan also experiencing poor quality but McCroom was the worst for towns across the county and one expert from the EPA said it's time for Ireland to break its emotional bond with the cosy fire. Uh, so your views are welcome on that this morning. We'll be chatting with the EPA shortly. Already a lot of texts and calls in on this and one person on text is saying why the EPA is telling people that they must break their bond with their cosy fire. On the other hand, last May they gave CRH a licence to incinerate 90 million tonnes of waste annually, including tyres. How does this make sense? Our grandparents sitting by their warm fires are a greater threat to the environment than an incinerator burning millions of tyres according to the EPA's logic and this is the case in Limerick that by the way is still ongoing and why that was granted uh, there is still a lot of objection to this in Limerick. They have set up a group and everything called the Limerick Against Pollution Group. And while the, it was granted, there, there's still a long way to go, I reckon, in this, um, as a lot of groups in the Limerick area are unhappy with this. So uh, I'm not too sure if that's, even though it's been granted, will there be more objections? Something like we've seen, I suppose, in the Ring of Skiddy area over the years as well. Uh, but yeah, when you say it like that, it, it, it's kind of you're saying one thing on one hand and saying something else on the other. 
other hand with the EPA. Anyhow, we'll be discussing that with them this morning on the programme. Your views are welcome on your cosy warm fire. Would you be happy to let it go to save the environment or are you going to stick with it? Are you going to stick with your cosy fire? New homes. Anybody who has purchased a new home lately will realise there's no chimney in a lot of them and there's this air to water kind of heating system but a lot of those new homes have no chimneys. Anyhow, your views are welcome on that across the morning on text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Also, we'll be speaking to the INTO as the Department of Education is due to meet them and other teacher unions today and this is to discuss students serving as substitute teachers. Around 4,000 teaching students will serve as subs in primary schools up until February of the midterm break and also the INTO, they're calling for measures to address what they say is the soaring transmission levels in the classrooms in relation to COVID-19. We'll chat with them on the show this morning. A lot of parents are very frustrated over this and it's affecting work-life balance as well for a lot of families. So we'll discuss that. Your views are welcome. If you find yourself in that situation where your child may not have COVID but has some type of cold, has to stay at home, it's resulting in an upheaval in the family life. But also for teachers in the schools, they're similar. Teachers are in the same positions. They can't go in if they have a head cold or they have to go for a test they're then trying to fill the gap in the school and some schools are telling us that they have they're down maybe five six seven teachers and also classrooms are half capacity because students aren't coming in due to various colds going around and because it could be COVID and they're not known until they go for a test it's causing upheaval across the education system anyhow more on that this morning your views are welcome We're also going to hear how businesses in Cork will face a 3% increase in rates following Cork County Council's budget. We'll also, in a positive move, we'll see investment in litter control. We'll discuss that and exciting plans for the South Docks in Cork City. What do they entail? We'll hear more about that later. And if you have a gardening question for Peter Doddle, we'll be going gardening after 12.30. Advice from Peter, as per usual, here on a Wednesday on the show. Uh, But you always, your views are welcome on phone 1850-333-103 or text or what. WhatsApp 0862103103. And yesterday it was kind of 50-50. Some people wanted restrictions to be imposed due to the uh, rise in COVID numbers across Ireland. Others felt, no, we've done everything we can and they could not uh, comprehend more restrictions because we've been through so much over the last year or two at this stage. Well, a bit of good news because it seems the early signs are emerging that the fourth wave of the pandemic is levelling out here in Ireland. But hospitals continue to be stretched to their limits and the decision to impose a midnight curfew on the hospitality sector has led to the public dramatically cutting their social contacts and cancelling events on the run-up to Christmas. The government will wait until next week at the earliest before assessing whether or not they will restrict and bring in further restrictions uh, to, I suppose, stop the spread of any further infections across the country. But the Tánaisí Varekar, he said it was too early uh, to give any definite answer on that. Uh, considering there are early positive signs, he said there's still a good way off to uh, see if what's happening now will level off over the next few weeks and the run up to Christmas. Now, in the last couple of days, uh, they've seen the positivity rate starting to level off. So perhaps the, the cases which are levelling off now, uh, they say, you know, at, at this stage, if they look into the future, 
it might be okay for this week and next week it could be different in, in, in three weeks' time. So that's why they're slow to rule out anything at this stage. But Nefesh, who are meeting tomorrow to assess the impact of the current restrictions, they say they won't be, uh, for the moment anyhow, saying that they should you know, be implementing anything restriction-wise for the next week. So at least that's some good news. And speaking last night to Virgin Media News, Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Houlihan said that people can still be hopeful about a normal Christmas. And he told opposition TDs that Nefesh, again, isn't not going to recommend anything different restriction-wise over the next week. So we'll have to wait and see uh, what will happen regarding uh, restrictions, which at the moment looks like things are levelling out and while they're not going to commit to anything, it does look like we won't be facing restrictions for the moment anyway, unless things take a a complete turnaround than what they're seeing at the moment. But at least that's some positivity and some good news on that front. Uh, But still, when we speak about that PCR test, we get calls and texts every day from people who say it's impossible to get a PCR test here in Cork. You heard Barry there in the news and we checked ourselves online. There's no availability today in the Cork area for a PCR test and people are waiting days for these. And I know earlier last Last week, when the city centres were full, uh, people were being sent to Ballinacarraga. That's now full as well and busy for today. And looking at other counties surrounding Cork, Kerry, there was only two available today in Tralee. Uh, two appointments for a PCI test, a PCR test that is. Uh, Tipperary had limited supply as well. And Limerick, the same. And County Clare. I mean, if people are willing to travel, they seem to have a, a big availability in Shannon and County Clare, but uh, very limited availability in Tipperary and Kerry as well today. But Cork completely booked out for PCR tests. And that is uh, leading to frustration for people who require one uh, and want to find out once and for all if they are COVID positive or not. So they can continue on with their lives if they aren't feeling very sick and they don't have the symptoms. Obviously, if people are sick with the symptoms, it's uh, leading them to have a different week than they would have planned. Uh, and for a lot of us, people are looking towards Christmas and families who have loved ones away and want to come home. Well, I think a lot of people would have guessed this. Airlines were grounded for so long. A lot of them are increasing their prices to make up for the losses they made over the last year or so. And due to this, prices have increased. And from the UK, seemingly flights are close to five. 100 euros on the weekend before Christmas uh, because of the fact that airlines are trying to I suppose battle the losses they made over the last while because of all the, the bans and everything well we did look into this and we decided that we check with Ryanair for example from London Gatwick to Cork to find out our prices as high as it has been reported by the way booked out a lot of flights are booked out over the first, I'd say, the three weeks before Christmas Day itself. So it's tough enough to get an actual flight out of, we just picked London. And on the 18th of December, uh, from London Gatwick to Cork for uh, return, obviously we're going to go back, let's say, on the 2nd of January. So we said we'd fly back home from the 18th of December, return back to London on the 2nd of January. The overall flight is costing €222. So uh, is that above average or not? I'm not too sure. €222 is what the cost is if you were travelling from London to Gatwick, return home to Cork for the Christmas period the prices do increase always for Christmas and I'd love to know is that over the average that people would have paid before the pandemic started let us know your views on that and speaking of transport and prices we're all aware at the pumps at the moment that petrol costs have now uh, gone so high that motorists have to shell out more than 100 euros every time they fill their tanks and um, this is coming from the AA 
who have compiled records and have been doing this in Ireland since 1991 and this is the highest they have come across because it's costing €103 to fill up the new survey has found and the average petrol cost now was roughly at about 172.6 cent per litre. So there's no change in that and the rise will seemingly continue and because of this there is a number of protests happening today. A lot of those involved in hauliers and truckers are on the roads to protest and yesterday now I'll play this out later in the programme because uh, when I was doing research for today's show uh, on the monitors, uh, the Oireachtas feed was coming in and I came across this where the independent city from Limerick, Richard O'Donoghue, he was tackling on Taoiseach Michal Martin about the rising costs in energy prices and also fuel prices and he feels those outside the cities are the worst hit. We're well aware of that here in Cork. And as a result, he drove a cab of a truck into Linster House yesterday, into the car park, by the way, of Linster House. Now, he had a row with the ushers, first of all, where he could park it. He parked it outside the door, but he was proving a point because he obviously at some stage in his life was a truck driver and he has the licence for that. But he's proving a point about the rising cost of fuel. And that has led now to truckers from all over uh, the country who today are travelling to Dublin to protest at the rising cost of fuel, petrol and diesel, I suppose, in particular for truck drivers. Uh, The motorways into Dublin, the M1, M2, M3, M7, M11, all full this morning with truckers. And I'm speaking there about all the M's and all the motorways into Dublin. I said, no fear uh, that when it comes to the latest stats on road safety, that Cork is one of the worst places uh, for road safety in the country. A lot of that is down to the road conditions because Dublin and the Midlands and the west of the country are okay. Um, and Ireland as a whole is below the European average when it comes to deaths on our roads. But the Munster area is less safe than the rest of the country and Dublin and the Midlands the safest. And I think a lot of that is to do with motorways. I think if you look at the roads here in Cork, I mean, I called out all the Ims there, all the motorways around Dublin. How many Ims do we have here in Cork? It's one, isn't it? Uh, that's the the M8 out of Cork to Dublin. Apart from that, there's no more Ims. And is that why we have the, one of the worst roads? I mean, if you're travelling from North Cork to West Cork, depending on where you're going, you will have to go minor roads and so-called national routes which are not uh, fit for purpose for the traffic nowadays look at the north ring in the city definitely not fit for purpose can't uh, handle any uh, traffic at peak hours and also the N73 spoken about uh, from Mallow to Mitchellstown a lot in the last while and Castle Marsha and Killa so when you look at all of those and people rushing for time is it no wonder uh, the rates here when it comes to safety is low in the Cork area because of the condition of our roads anyhow your views are welcome 185033 and on the truckers we did our newsroom did speak to one haulier who was making his way to the protest this morning and a lot of I suppose questions when they do protests like this is asked about disruption and the disruption they caused to those who were on the roads uh, Sean is a haulier who spoke to our newsroom earlier this morning on this look, I've seen a lot of comments on social media and stuff people were like oh look we have medical appointments and all and I understand that and I'm very sorry for them but the way I look at it is if we don't do this now. There'll be a lot more people out going for medical appointments due to mental health and stuff like that because they won't have jobs or they won't have food or they won't be able to provide for their families. 1850-333-103. Lines open. You can text or WhatsApp 86 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103
The Environmental Protection Agency says the burning of solid fuels in villages, towns and cities is the biggest contributor to poor air quality. Dermot Burke is the scientific officer in the Air Quality Unit of the EPA and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Dermot. Uh, Good morning, John Paul. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for joining us. I mean, we've spoken about this before on the programme and your EPA monitoring systems have showed that four out of five worst areas for air quality in Ireland in the last week we're in Munster, and one of those was here in Cork in McCroom. Um, yeah, John Paul, I suppose uh, we have a we have a monitoring network of nearly over a hundred uh, monitors throughout the country monitoring various air pollutants, uh, and some of those and and they're represented on our main air quality uh, airquality.ie website. And that anybody can log into at any stage. And what that website shows is the state of the air within any given hour throughout the day. Um, and what monitors tend to show this time of year throughout the, 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 the country is that with, uh, with dropping temperatures and more people uh, using their cars and more people heating their homes using solid fuel, that the likes of the the air the main air pollutants that affect us in Ireland being particulate matter, which is called PM uh, PM10 and PM2.5, and also nitrogen dioxide NO2, that those levels of, of air pollutants tend to elevate uh, during during this time of year. And when you mention elevate, is that simply down to a lot more vehicles, I suppose, back on the roads now, or is it simply down to those who were at home lighting fires? Um, yeah, well, I, I suppose with the McCroom side, you mentioned McCroom. McCroom, mm. uh, we analyze uh, PM2.5, which is particulate matter, which is the very, very fine particles in in the air. Uh, and yes, they would um, uh, chiefly, uh, the, the main source of those pollutants, air pollutants of, of particulate matter, is from residential burning and, and, and home home fire burning as well. So solid fuel burning. And does um, it matter where the actual sensor then is located? I mean, if there's a sensor located near maybe a home or a house that is uh, a burning, uh, obviously a nice cosy fire maybe on, on a winter's evening, does that make a difference or does it not make any difference? Well, we we have two types of main stations that we, in our network. There's ones that are traffic focused, so they're so, so they measure uh, both particular matter, but also nitrogen dioxide, and they're within 10 meters from a traffic source. And then we have more <clears throat> background sites, which which measure background concentrations, and we try to monitor. Our, we, 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 we well, we follow European guidelines in terms of where we site our stations, and with background stations, we keep away from any potential sources. With at least at least 100, 100 uh, metres or so from, from, from our 50 metres, 100 to 50 metres away from potential sources like, say, a boiler uh, in a house or anything like that. So in McCroom, uh, the site in McCroom is, is within the centre of the town, but it's, it's away, it, it's, it's, it's distant from any potential source. But, so what it's actually measuring is more of a, a background level within the town. Um, and I suppose if you have, it, it, because it's within the town itself, um, you are measuring the air uh, that, that, that basically everybody is contributing to within the town. 
and, and therefore you get you get levels then that, that if, if you have a lot of home burning you do get levels of uh, especially especially on a night like last night where you had cold temperatures not much air moving around uh, still 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 uh, conditions and therefore the air pollutants can tend to build up and and, and aren't dispersed in the air as normally happens in our weather so as they are accurate, I mean, then that would lead to, uh, for air quality, would lead to a health effect for many people who have respiratory conditions or maybe have lung conditions over the last number of years that, that they have noticed and become aware of, of your sensors that, that you've spoken about before, that they're saying, well, this is the cause of it, it's the smoke in the air. And then you have the other side of that from people who feel they have the right to continue on burning uh, their home fires. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, it, there is there is evidence there, and it, it, it's it's a, a evidence from the Department of Health and and from the HSE that uh, up to one thousand three hundred or one thousand three hundred premature deaths per year due to poor air quality in Ireland, uh, and it's a major issue uh, in the world. Uh, the World Health Organization said it's it's poor air quality is the main the main threat to people's uh, to people's health uh, throughout the world. So um, it, it, I suppose that's it on a global level, on a, on, on a, on a local level. It's, it's something, I suppose, it's within our, it's within our gift to, to, to affect. So the choices that we make uh, on, on a daily basis on how we uh, both travel and also uh, heat our homes can affect our local air pollution. Um, the Department of the Environment uh, lately, um, in, in the past week, uh, in the past month, uh, has released a campaign, an ABC campaign, in relation to home heating, and and basically um, they are saying that a you ask yourself, do I need to light a fire? B uh, can I burn something that's more clean and more efficient, and 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 less less smoky? And see, then is is what I'm burning. Uh, the appliance I'm using is it clean and have I maintained it? So the likes of chimneys and, and heating appliances. So that's ABC, and these are these, these are things that we we all can ask ourselves in terms of the choices that we make in terms of heating our own homes. Uh, we're not saying that, that that homes shouldn't be heated, but we have to heat our homes. But there are choices there that we can make in order to make sure that. Um, the the air outside and even the air inside in in our homes is is, is cleaner. I'm not sure was it yourself recommended this or not but I know in the papers yesterday there was a quote saying that Irish people must break their emotional bond with the cosy fire. Uh, That led to a lot of callers to our show yesterday afternoon who were unhappy with that and said they will never give up their open fire or their cosy fire but if they don't give it up then and if they continue to use smoky coal you would say that the air quality will stay as it is and not in good quality for those who would need uh, reasonable quality air to breathe. Well, yes, and I suppose it is a very, very emotive thing, uh, and uh, we all love a lovely, warm fire. But again, the 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 the, the decision uh, that we all can make is that well, what are we burning in our fire, and are there healthier, uh, cleaner choices? And um, the other thing as well that will be coming into effect next year and in, 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 uh, in for, for 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 next winter, tw- winter twenty twenty two is the solid fuel regulations uh, that the department have released. And we, what they will do is they will help help us all to choose less polluting fuels. So they will put a mandate on the types of fuels or the types of pollutants 
or the maximum levels of pollutants that such uh, fuels can give. So I suppose on one end of the scale, we have the likes of coal and wet wood and, uh, and peat that produce a lot of, of uh, PM and, and, and sulfur dioxide and, and, and are harmful to the air. Um, uh, whereas uh, on the other side, then we have, if you, uh, if you, if you burn a, a mature um, um, uh, dry wood, that that, is, that, that, that that would be a lot better situation than, than than burning, say, a wet wood or, or a coal. So, and then obviously, then the idea then, and, and certainly we're seeing it in any of the newer houses that are being built. Effectively, there are no chimneys. So, in the planning uh, side of things, that newer homes that are there that are being built, they're being heated by other means than solid fuel. So, it's it's going to be it's going to be a shift change in terms of in terms of uh, of how we all. Uh, go forward in terms of heating our own homes, but yeah. it will have it will have a positive effect on on our on our on our both our, our air quality and our health. And air to water heating is very popular now, and a lot of new homes here in the Cork area, which as you mentioned, are built with no chimneys. Again, that's, it's very emotive. Some people are against that and feel they should be entitled to have a, a chimney. But I know, as you mentioned, planning laws do require now to have uh, some type of friendly air facility to heat your homes within the planning. And yeah. on on that, when I mentioned chimneys there and smoke I mean is the because we have smoky coal bands in many of the towns here in Cork County and indeed across the city but is the smoke that comes from our chimneys I mean is that more harmful then than what's coming from the emissions from vehicles and trucks in our road it's one of the main the, 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 the one of our main pollutants our two main pollutants would be PM 2.5 which is a really really small fine particles and those particles are produced in combustion uh, 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 and then the other one then would be you know two which be for which would be from the traffic side of things but PM 2.5 is definitely um, uh, as as harmful to our health as you know two is so Neither of them are a good thing to have in the air to uh, as, at, at high levels for, for, for our health. And while there is mixed feelings on how smokeless coal works, I mean, in towns where it operates, have you noticed a difference within air quality in the last number of years from those various surveys you've carried out? Well, certainly it made a, it made a huge difference in the likes of Dublin uh, when, the smoke, when the original smoky coal, uh, I suppose the, 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 the smoky coal ban, as it was once called uh, in Dublin, once that came into, that came into effect, it did have um, a, a positive effect in terms of uh, you, did, you didn't see the, the, the smog, uh, smog uh, once, that, that once was visible in, 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 uh, in the likes of the, the bigger the bigger cities, but definitely in the likes of Dublin. Um, because there are, are, are still sources of fuel that are out there for everybody to burn and that, that, that are higher, uh, that have the higher potential for producing air pollutants because they are still available, then you're still going to get uh, problems then with that, uh, being sorry, uh, that, that there is a risk to the air because of that. And the reason why we are monitoring our air is because it's to do with the EU legal limits. And I know in 2020, we were very compliant here in Ireland. A lot of that was due, due to what we spoke about there, uh, traffic, but we had less traffic on the roads due to COVID-19 restrictions. And air pollution, every time we mention any type of pollution to do with roads or indeed chimneys and, and, and home fires, we will get inundated with calls and texts from people who say, what about the aeroplanes in the sky? There was a reduction and that was last year again due to the restrictions. I mean, 
What effect does that have on air quality and the overall environment when there is less airplanes in the sky? Because they're back now again. So will that have a negative effect? I suppose the more immediate, the more immediate uh, air pollutants that would be concerning to us would be from the main sources of residential burning and, and, and from, from traffic because they are the ones that are closest to us. Mm. So at a high level, obviously, uh, and maybe on a, on a climate level, you, yeah, there, there may be, there may be a, a, a thought out there that, that, that there may be an issue there in relation to airplanes, but, but basically on a, on, on a ground level. Uh, where we're all where we're more all more more readily impacted by um, uh, the emissions from 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 both residential burning and from traffic, that's that's what really is is the main the main um, the main concern for ourselves in Ireland. And there's been talk of, as we call it, the smoky coal ban across the country. Now it hasn't been implemented as yet. Would you welcome that? Yeah, the, that's the that that's the smoky fuel ban, uh, or the uh, our solid solid fuel solid mm. fuel regulations which are coming in next year. Yeah, it'll definitely have a positive effect, and something I suppose we've highlighted in previous reports that these are our main pollutants, these are the main sources, and these are the steps to take in order to you know produce or to have a favourable outcome in terms of our our air quality. So definitely, they will have us have 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 a positive effect, but also it will give us all uh, more clarity and more of a, uh, we'll have a clearer choice in terms of what we burn uh, in our in our homes and also how we how we choose to travel well Dermot good to get an insight this morning into air quality and the chat to you on that and thanks for joining us on the program uh, no problem at all thank you for thank you for asking me on Dermot Burke who's the scientific officer in the air quality unit of the EPA a lot of views regarding this into us in the last while Record today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 Cork County Council's annual budget is going through with business owners the ones who will face an increase due to an increase in rates Councillor Alan Coleman joins me on this Good morning to you Alan Morning, John Paul. I suppose it depends on the businesses involved. Some won't see a massive increase, some will, but a lot of people will say, you know, it's been a rough year for businesses and they won't welcome any increase in any, any type of rates or anything at all. Oh, there's no doubt about it. It was a very difficult decision for councillors to take. Um, business rates haven't increased since 2008. And, you know, I, I suppose we, we as councillors had a, a tough decision to make. There's a budget of maybe £370 million. Um, but, you know, within that, there's only maybe less than 10% of that where we, we have this question on where we spend a lot of it on wages, you know, government grants that have to be spent on specific things and, you know, pensions. So so the, the amount of discretion we have is quite limited. Um, we chose not to increase the, the property tax on people this year. Uh, that is the same as it was last year. And... Um, you know, we were faced with a situation that if we didn't increase the, the, the rate of valuation, you know, we would have had to cut services, frontline services, effectively, like community supports, street cleaning, you know, parks, maintenance. They were the areas where we had some discretion in spending. And we, I suppose, as councillors, felt that we, we, you know, we had no other option at this stage <clears throat> but to maintain the services that we, we've been providing for the last few years. That, you know, rates eventually had to go up. As I said, we've held the line since, since 2008 in terms of, of commercial rates. Now, for 30% of our, our rate payers, you know, it's very small money. But, you know, for, for those on the high streets, it's going to be difficult. We know that. 
support, I suppose we did get a commitment from management that, you know, they would engage closely with businesses. And, you know, an awful lot of businesses have got in trouble, say, since 2008, since the crash. But there's no business in Cork County that was closed down by, because they weren't paying rates. Cork County Council has closed no one down. As an arm of the state, they've, they've never done that. They got a commitment from from the management, the head of finance and the chief executive that they would be working with businesses. Uh, another arm of the state, the revenue, which answers the Department of Finance, they, they've often closed many businesses because they were behind the payment. But there is a long-spending commitment from Cork County Council that, that that's not a road that we want to go down. They want to continue working closely with businesses. And I suppose in the last number of years, we have increased our support for, for businesses, particularly in, in the villages and towns. And, uh, you know, the, the um, COVID situation ensured that we worked an awful lot closer with business associations in all of our towns. And that's going to continue. And I suppose what we wanted to do as councillors was to make sure that we still had the money to do that type of thing. And for businesses who were in a situation whereby they feel, you know, they could be just about to turn off the lights, they are worried about the future if there is going to be any further restrictions. I mean, you're saying so basically the council will work with them if they can't pay their rates. Absolutely. That was a, a, a very strong guarantee that was given by, by the uh, chief executive yesterday. Now we've got businesses who know they have to pay their bills if they're in a position to pay them. But if there are genuine difficulties in, in in businesses, and the track record is there, uh, like you know, it's I mean, we were not like council, not like reviewers, but they're answer the councillors, and, and we don't want our executive to be closing anyone down. We want them to be working with them, but we still need to have funds <coughs> to make our towns and our villages attractive for the public to do business there, because these businesses are under severe threat from. The big multiples is say on one hand and online on the other hand. And I suppose it's our responsibility as councils to make sure we have enough money to make our towns attractive and work with business associations. And that's when difficult decisions like yesterday have to be taken. And in fairness to the councils, like there was no one happy about it, but there was no proposal, counter proposal came forward either yesterday. Uh, you know, in the past we've often had budgets for different groups would propose alternative type budgets, but really there was no way to come up with another solution to this to the problem that we had with regard to funding. Okay, so, I'm not too sure would you agree with this or not, but Mike is in Skibberine and he's asking if when you <coughs> mentioned there about budgets, why c- could not the uh, councillors uh, take a salary cut uh, uh, from what they receive from Cork <coughs> County Council and, and work it out that way? Mike has a business in the Skibberine area. It's, it's, it's something that I suppose council salaries are set nationally the same as all the other wages uh, at council level. We are the lowest paid, I suppose, uh, in, in the council um, of all the staff that work for Cork County Council. Um, the council that receive the least amount of money. So, you know, you're, you're talking about very, very small money. But I can see where it's coming from. Obviously, businesses are going to be a- a- angry about things like that. But I think the one thing we would see is that the, the local property tax, I think there's about Five or six million of that has been taken, collected by, from the from households in Cork, and been kept nationally, which is an absolute disgrace. We only get eighty percent of what we collect in the local property tax. If right was right, and but in fairness, if our national politicians ensure that the local authority got all of the money that the local householders pay in the local property tax, we would be in the situation where we were forced to raise raise business um, rates this year. But that's, that's an absolute fact. 
And while we're speaking about business rates here and what is to happen with that, before I let you go, I want to discuss something that is, I suppose, people will hope anyhow, a positive move out of this budget. Uh, as you say, no changes to local community projects, but litter control spending is to increase. Many will welcome that, Adam, because when you say it's going to increase, is this to invest more in litter wardens or to catch people out and dumpers out by way of CCTV? Well, I suppose that section has more money now to work. Uh, CCT is one, one area that they use, not a lot, but they use it in, in problem areas. But it is one area that we found a huge, you know, that, that the public want us to take more action on. And we as councils felt there should be more money put towards that. Another area, I suppose, last summer people got accustomed to a lot more toilets, facilities, public toilets on the beaches. People go out and all that more. Now, this year it was funded by the state because of the COVID situation, but that funding is not going to be there next year. So I think we have a decision to make. I think the public expect the level of service that they got last year with, with more port loos with more public toilets, with more amenity um, uh, cleaning by the council. They would expect that to continue into the future. So it's not going to be funded nationally next year. I mean, that type of COVID funding is no longer available to us. So the only place that it could be funded was out of the county council's own budget. And as well as the councils, we decided that it was important to maintain the level of service that we had last year. Another area is that we have a lot more walkways, we have a lot more public parks, and we have more um, playgrounds now. And they all have to be maintained, insured and maintained into the future by the council. And that is an extra cost. And I suppose one, one thing extra that's coming in terms of staff is that there is going to be an element of extra outdoor staff. And this is something that councils have wanted. You know, we need it for street cleaning, we need it for road maintenance, for, for you know, the burial grounds. We were finding that we just didn't have the boots on the ground to do the things the community really wants. And will they be implemented now after this budget? Well, this budget will allow the management to go and hire extra staff. And very briefly, Alan, because I must go to news at 11, you mentioned there are playgrounds. I know we had calls about a playground in Bandon and it comes up from time to time that do get damaged because of antisocial behaviour. Is it in the council? They have to go in and repair this, but it comes out of a budget. Yes, yes, indeed. But the good news for Bandon is there's a local playground group. They have a new site. They've got plenty of permission. They're getting leader funding. They're getting funding from Park on the Sound Council. They're a fantastic group. And I think we will see over the next 12, 18 months a fantastic new, effectively regional playground in Bandon. The current one is just badly located. It's, it costs money, obviously, to keep it repaired, to keep it maintained. But it's not an ideal scenario. But, but the playground group in Bandon, working with the council, are going to deliver a fantastic playground for Bandon. They have the planning and the money is in place practically at this stage now. Okay, well, I have to leave it there. But, Alan, thanks for joining us this morning. So, while for businesses, maybe not so good news, uh, there is good news in other aspects uh, for community projects and the likes of litter and indeed playgrounds. Alan, thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. That is Independent Councillor Alan Coleman. Your views are welcome. 1850 Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. It's Cork today until one. And coming up, we're going to speak with the INTO on how teaching students will serve as subs in primary schools. And also, we're going to hear but exciting plans for the South Docks in Cork City but a lot of calls and comments in from our, our first interview on the show which was with the Environmental Protection Agency on the burning of solid fuels such as home fires and a leading expert from the EPA has come out and said that we here in Ireland have to lose our relationship with the cosy fire we have in our homes. Now a lot of calls and comments in on this from people who would disagree with the 
EPA and it's all to do with air quality and sensors they have in various towns and uh, areas of Cork such as Glanmire, uh, various areas of the city north side like Ballyvalan and in the county town of McCroom uh, was one of the worst towns across Munster uh, for air quality over the last seven days and they reckon a lot of this is to do with the fuel we are burning in our fires, the smoky coal and in areas where there's smokeless coal, uh, that law which covers the city and suburbs and urban areas in some towns here across the county uh, due to be spread out now right across the country uh, next year. On that, a lot of people have mixed views and unhappy. Mary's in Ross Carberry. She says, I for one will still burn coal timber on my fire in my own home. No one is going to tell me what I can do and what I cannot do in my own home. You would have more heat out of a match than the smokeless coal, says Mary in Ross Carberry. While the texter in Carrick Tool says, tell the EPA they should come to Carrick Tool between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning and get the smell from the factories burning in that area of Carrick Tool. Are they being looked at or is it just households? Jackie is a new two-pot house and says, my solid fuel Rayburn stove and open fires are the sole form of heating in my old house. Sorry, says Jackie, but I refuse to freeze to death in order to save the planet. While another texter says, no one's going to tell me what to burn and not to burn in my fire I will burn coal my fire will be in my house until the day I die I burn smokeless coal though blocks and turf and I love my fire and heat says that texter while Claire says JP the only heating options in my house are oil and an open fire or stove if I had another form of heating I would use it in a lot of homes people only have an open fire, says Claire. And Michael is in Mallow. He says if the EPA is so interested, why don't they stop the disgusting smell coming out of the water treatment plant in Mallow for the last several years, says Michael in Mallow. Martina is in McCroom and she is a grandmother, but she says she won't be uh, much good to the environment if she is dead from the cold. They got rid of the bogs for turf and are importing what we have on our doorstep now. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the, the, there's actually talks of that to change, and I'll get to that later in the programme, uh, to actually readjust what it is regarding the bogs, whether that will happen or not, I'm not too sure. Uh, but as Martina says, uh, not much good uh, for her if she's going to protect the environment, yet at the same time she's dead from the cold. Martina in McCroom to 1850-333-103. And Noreen is in Listole. Uh, she says the EPA is expecting everyone to use electricity. What happens if the electricity goes off? We would freeze and starve, says Noreen. While Morris is in Glanthorn, uh, he says says it's fine for the EPA to recommend smokeless fuel. It does not give as much heat as the ordinary coal but it is the only way he has of heating his house. His boiler is broke and he has no money to get it fixed. He got his windows changed to PVC but he had to do that one window at a time. All these recommendations are fine says Morris if you have the money to pay for it. If Morris had a council house he says they would probably come out and fix it up for nothing but he's a private home. Morris in Glanthorn. Uh, Neil is in Lumberstown, he says, JP, the biggest contributors to the poor air quality is made by our politicians in Dáil Éireann, says Neil. And a Bantry listener says, get that idiot off the airwaves. The likes of him are causing more pollution with his bull nonsense. I won't stop my fire, says that listener in Bantry. And Michael is in Castletown Bear. He says, what are exactly the EPA up to? Do they want people to freeze to death? Do they want to swamp the hospitals with people with flus, pneumonia and everything else? Have they 
day and your respect for the people, especially the older people. Who are these people? Who elects them? And are they publicly elected? Try to stop two elderly people from lighting a fire for a bit of heat at this hour of their lives. It was just sheer insanity, says Michael in Castletown Bear. Well, they're not elected. It's the government will make the decisions on the smokeless coal, uh, but they are. EPA would be under civil servants, I would presume, anyhow. Uh, so they are working for the state, uh, but at the same time, they don't. Uh, they suggest the rules, I suppose, and then the the powers that be in the government will make those rules, as we have seen happening with these smokeless coal bans, which will continue for next year. Anne says, what if the power goes out? Our fire is handy then, says Anne. And Brendan is in Ballyhooley, and he says the EPA are appealing to the country to break with solid fuel fires. For many, uh, there is no alternative heating sources, such as those with no central heating or those with no back boilers. Also, the government has pledged to get rid of fossil fuels in vehicles and homes within a decade or two. What is the electricity supposed to, or where is the electricity supposed to come from? As an alternative, the nation does not have the capacity to generate enough electricity for its needs as it is. So what about the future? Uh, that's a good point, actually, from Brendan in Ballyhooley. Everything is going that way of electric. Uh, but at the moment, and we haven't gone that way yet, uh, we're struggling to provide electricity into the country. We're all talking about offshore uh, wind farms and new ways of generating electricity, but they could take five, six, seven or eight years to happen. So while we're reducing one output and to increase the other, it won't happen together. So where will the electricity come from? A very good point to Brendan in Ballyhooley on text to 0862103103. And John on text says, JP, it's all very well asking people not to light fires, but what are people supposed to do? The average retrofit for a three-bed semi is 40k. The grant covers 30% of this, which means the householder has to pay 27k. Most people cannot afford this. Heat pumps use a lot of electricity and this has recently increased by 20%, uh, says John. That's a good point. Thank you, John, for your text. And Jerry is in Glonthon. He says the air pollution now is no different for the past 20 years. So why should we have to give up our coal fires now, says Jerry. A lot of people picking up on the last question I asked them in the EPA regarding aeroplanes and it's amazing says Tim that they're more interested in the smoke from our chimneys and from our homes than they are on what is flying overhead. Is it because they can't tackle that or simply we're the easier option? Us the householders who are always hit with every kind of attacks. Eddie in Mallow says what about all these forest fires that have been happening globally? A few chimneys won't make much of a difference says Eddie and Geraldine is in Dripsy and she says for her the EPA have no right to tell people whether they can light a fire or not. She has a stove and she uses smokeless coal and dry timber and that's the way she's going to go in Dripsy. And Martin on Twitter too and C103 Cork says these monitors work well when the air is calm. Funny that this is not an issue when there is a storm. The EPA shooting fish in a barrel, asks Martin on Twitter too, at C103 Cork. Your uh, comments are welcome on that issue we spoke with the EPA with earlier in the show. You can call Bernie 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. A lot of calls and comments as well on the issue of trying to get a PCR test booked out, people unable to get one and why some people are just taking it amongst themselves to isolate if they have any symptoms. I'll get to those as well before the end of the show. But on the way, we will speak with the 
the INTO who also have called on reviewed measures to address what they say is the soaring transmission levels in the classrooms in relation to COVID-19. And of course now how teaching students will serve as subs in primary schools and that will happen up until the midterm break next February. C103 Jobs. And on today's job spot, we have opportunities which include Caulfield Supervalue in Bandon. They require sales assistance for permanent and seasonal positions. You can email your CV to vacancies at caulfields.com. A mini bus driver is wanted for school runs in the Charnival area. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Contact John on 087-2154-385. And caretaker and groundskeeper is required for Blarney, Whitechurch, Grenada and Kilcully Community Employment Scheme. Contact 083-303-5365 for further details. You'll get these jobs and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. The Department of Education is due to meet with teacher unions today to discuss students serving as substitute teachers. Around 4,000 teaching students will serve as subs in primary schools up until February midterm break. And the initiative applies to those in third or fourth year as well as those in postgraduate teaching courses. INTO President Joe McCone joins me on this. Good morning to you. Joe. Good morning. And first of all, I mean, how many teachers are unavailable for work, do you know, at the moment due to COVID-19? Well, we did a survey uh, in the last, for the first two weeks in November, and we discovered that there were certainly 12,000 days, substitute days that were not covered. Uh, And that's obviously a very serious situation. Um, 
and, and, and one third of those days were like there were, there were 12,000 substitutable days and one third of them were not covered by a substitute. So special education teachers had to leave their role with the special education children uh, and take mainstream classes. That's a very, very significant strain. And there's no doubt about it that primary schools have been at crisis point in the last number of weeks. And I remember we spoke to you a few weeks ago and the idea of bringing students from third level college, you mentioned that, you know, it'd be great learning experience, on hand experience for them. You welcomed this move so announced yesterday evening by the Department of Education. And do you know when all this will start, though? Because for many principals, the crisis was this morning again at 7am when they were getting up to prepare for school. Yes, and I think in fairness, uh, you know, there's no simple solution, so we do have to get to all the bodies that we can. So the short answer to your question is that certainly from next week, many of those students will become available. And, uh, you know, the Hiber- students at Hibernia College are probably available this week. Students from Mary Immaculate College in Limerick will become available from next week. And we know that other colleges like, for example, Marino College in Dublin, have made arrangements with their students uh, to facilitate and to ensure that they're more available to schools. So this is an immediate injection of bodies. They're not fully qualified, obviously, and it's less than ideal. But in an emergency, it will bring some relief to, to primary school principals, along with the easing of restrictions on retired teachers will they also be able to help out. And what about school inspectors that we have across the country, the well-known Kigura? I mean, could they help out in this situation? Would they be able, and I don't know how many we have, but would they be able to alleviate the pressure on schools? Well, it is an issue we've raised with uh, the inspectorate themselves. Uh, there, there are a couple of hundred uh, of people in that regard. Um, some of them may not have kept up their teaching council registration, so that might be a problem. Uh, in fairness to the department, they have made available uh, teachers who are on secondment with them to return to the classrooms. Um, and certainly given that the inspectors will be uh, not doing incidental visits, it may well be we get to the stage where they could we, we could look for their, their use if they're available. We mentioned yesterday that you we were going to speak with yourself on this issue and a school principal contacted us and we're aware of this as well across the country where classrooms are half full as students were out and then uh, this principal said he was down 40% of his teaching staff so while he was trying to get others like SNAs and supports to run other parts of the school he said basically and this is he said not just his school he's aware of colleagues as well in other parts of the country who are in the same as him uh, they're running on empty and they're trying to keep everything going with no replacements for teachers and then classes that they think that when they get a teacher change around they go into the classroom and realise it's gone from 100% to 50% due to last minute uh, call-ins that you know Johnny has a cold we don't think he should yeah. go in Yeah well I suppose I'd say two things in relation to that firstly it's a really good thing if parents are keeping their children home when the children have symptoms that's a really really important thing that, uh, that should be done Um and parents are encouraged to continue to do that. And similarly, staff who have symptoms should not go to school. But there's no doubt about it, and I have highlighted this before myself, the primary school education system is not running and functioning at normal capacity. And the strains that that principal uh, have identified, they are replicated throughout the county of Cork and indeed in other counties as well. There isn't a simple solution, and... 
what we've been doing for the last week or so particularly is to try to identify how can we make bodies available to that principle. And so the things that we came in yesterday, the Minister announced, were substitute teachers can be drawn now from the student teacher population, from the retired teacher population, and indeed we are looking at ways of incentivising teachers from Northern Ireland, perhaps, who might be able to make themselves available. Um, But we will still have to, to... it will still be a huge struggle for principals. There's no question about that, because the real solution is to drive down rates of transmission in the community, because that's affecting schools as well. Yeah, and you'd hope the measures announced will alleviate the pressure on schools, but when you mentioned there about transmission, I mean, you have called for review measures to address what you and other unions are saying is the soaring transmission levels in the sector, and this goes back to the removal, I suppose, of public health supports in late September uh, to do with contract tracing. Do you believe because of that uh, and the removal of those uh, uh, contact tracing for those maybe between the age of 5 and 12 that it's leading to the increased transmission of COVID? Well, 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 we can certainly say for definite that removing contact tracing didn't drive down the numbers of of COVID-19. And we know that the European Centre for Disease Control is really, really clear. It says that contact tracing should be initiated promptly following the identification of a confirmed case. That's not happening in our schools. We know from what the Taoiseach has said that right this very day, there are 15,000 asymptomatic children in our primary schools, and we have no idea where they are, we have no idea who they are, and we have no way of communicating with their parents um, to get them tested or any of that, and that just can't be a good thing. And that's where parents then are contacting us, concerned that they're aware that there is somebody in a class that possibly is positive or somebody at home is positive yet they're in the school it's causing huge concern for parents but it must be very frustrating for teachers then when parents are ringing them uh, you know looking for more answers and they can't give yeah. those answers and, and and parents are fantastic in terms of trying their very very best to be responsible and you're absolutely right the principals don't have the answers the teachers don't have the answers the public health support needs to come back and of course the other issue that's having a big impact now and I'm sure you know, in Cork, that the, the issue of getting P- PCR tests and the waiting there is also adding to the problem because we're hearing reports of teachers who have symptoms, who are looking for a PCR test, can't get an appointment, then have to get up at half six the next morning to see can they log on to get an appointment the next day. And of course, for each day they're waiting for their appointment, they're out of school and making the problem even worse. And that's happening for the community, the general community in Cork and affecting all workplaces in Cork, I've no doubt. It is, and it's something that we discussed earlier this morning. No PCR test available in the Cork area today, and other counties are experiencing the same. The Education Minister, Norma Foley, yesterday evening said that it is the expert view that our schools are places of low transmission. Do you agree with her on that? Well, I, I, I don't have a public health uh, expertise, but the European Centre for Disease Control makes it very clear that primary schools are considered high-risk settings. And the other thing, and it was a point I made when meeting with department and public health officials this morning, is that the reporting from principals and teachers around the country is that transmission is happening in our primary schools, that it's happening at an alarming rate, and that needs to be recognised and contact tracing needs to be restored. 
And what about these air filters that were due to be installed in schools? I mean, they were in some schools. Did all schools get these and, and did they make any difference? Well, there were no air filters actually in, installed. What happened was that CO2 monitors were, were sent to schools and that basically how to identify if there were problems with ventilation or with the air in a classroom. But there was no clear indication of what a school could do then. So it was a bit like giving somebody a thermometer and checking if they have a high temperature, but not supplying the paracetamol afterwards. Um, And what we need now is a clear indication to schools as to what they do. Now, the minister did say uh, this morning on the radio that schools can apply to the building unit if there's remediation works required. But as we pointed out to the department this morning, very many schools cannot do that because they don't have the money to pay for surveyor reports and so on that needs to be done. So we need to look at, would HEPA filters be any good? In fairness, the European Centre for Disease Control says there's very little evidence that they would, that they would do any good. Um but there's no doubt about it that schools that have identified that their ventilation problems need to be given some indication as to how to address them. And because many teachers are contacting us and saying, look, they feel that schools really have been left to fend for themselves with regards to everything going on over the last few months, would you call then on boosters to be implemented for teachers at high risk sooner than later and vaccination for children of the primary school going age? Well, on the first issue there, we certainly did raise that with the department and public health this morning, the whole issue of boosters. And our understanding is that there will be advice in relation to how boosters will be rolled out. um, And that will be clarified soon for everybody. And we await that. In relation to the vaccination of children, we know it is being proposed. And what needs to happen there is the guidance on it. We're not medical people. We certainly say to teachers that we encourage them to get vaccinated because we know that vaccination is the best protection against COVID. And if it is the public health recommendation, I think we will be giving encouragement to parents then too. OK, Joe, well, we'll wait and see what happens over the next few days. And at least the sub-teachers should anyhow provide some uh, rests uh, for the principals who are just every morning looking around for various sub-teachers which are impossible to get so hopefully that will alleviate pressures on principals anyway you would hope over the next week or so. Well certainly the principals in Cork and elsewhere deserve a huge credit for the Trojan work they have done because every day getting your school open and getting a guard vetted body in front of a class is an enormous task and they are working night and day to make sure that schools remain open. OK, Joe, we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning. That is Joe McEwen, who's president of the INTO. Your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Tommy says uh, principals do work hard while people may have various views on teachers. If you're a principal, it's like being a CEO of a company. You must make sure the school is intact and that everybody is in their place. And more importantly, that there's a teacher there to teach the students. If that isn't the case, then uh, you're under pressure. So he's comparing uh, principals to CEOs hello to you Tommy on text to 0862 103 103 call Bernie 1850 
And some good news earlier this morning and yesterday evening that Cork's Docklands are set to be transformed in a 350 million euro redevelopment project. The plan, which will include a new hospital, a three multi-storey office tower blocks and an 11-storey apartment block is welcome for many who have said something needs to happen with that area of the city and the beautiful views there from the Docklands as well. Well, one man who we spoke to before on this is the former Lord Mayor and Councillor Joe Kavanagh who joins me. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, JP. How are you this morning? I'm fine, and thanks for joining us. Uh, your role in councillor still, you will be looking and happy with this news, I'm sure. When you were a Lord Mayor of Cork, we spoke to you about this, and we said something like this will be a game changer, and here it is. So, looking at this site, I mean, you had the former Autumns building that I've mentioned before, and I've always said that could be a plan for an event centre in itself. Uh, they're going keeping the, the, I suppose, protect the part of that building to protect its heritage. So, you're still going to have the heritage kept within the Docklands, but it's going to energise the city, Joe, isn't it? It is going to energise the city, JP. You're 100% right. And, you know, this is something I've been campaigning for a long, long time, coming from the eastern side of the city, the northeastern side of the city myself. Um, you know, this this is a key development and it's been in the planning for many, many years, JP. And it link our city centre to the eastern gateway of our city, which is of critical importance coupled with the fact that, you know, from both a maritime perspective and um, a roads perspective, roads infrastructure perspective, it is critically important. Um, you know, and it, it, it's a very welcome development. And last year, as you well know, and we spoke about this, um, you know, during my term as Lord Mayor, um, when we were granted um, URDF funding of £400 million, uh, for for developments in the city, uh, three hundred and fifty million going into the Docklands and fifty million going into the Grand Parade Quarter development, which is going ahead, uh, kind of quarter one, uh, quarter one of twenty twenty two. The you'll see movement on that. But this this Docklands development is hugely significant, and it's great to see O'Callaghan Properties getting on board, and um, they have a magnificent development there in Navigation House, and this will be a continu- a continuity. Um, uh, from a development perspective, all the way down the Docklands, down Kennedy Quay, down as far as the marina. Uh, as you quite correctly said in your introduction, there's so many different aspects to this, uh, you know, and it's uh, from, from residential to, to commercial, um, the, the, uh, the rehab hospital, cinemas. I mean, it's going to breed life into the area and uh, from both a commercial and uh, a residential perspective. And it's it's absolutely hugely welcomed by by everybody really, but it's got to go through the planning process as well now, JP. So it's uh, obviously that'll take a number of months. Our planners and city hall will will pour over it, obviously. And um, by the time, and, and we're all very excited about this development in city hall, and me as a public representative as well. And, um, and yeah. when you mention planning there, Joe, it's early next year. I think it's going to go in for planning. Yeah. One of the items I've seen and pictures are in the Irish Examiner this morning and there's uh, they're all over online as well. But uh, one of them is a bridge that's going from the South Docks to the North Docks and Kent Station. And there's a railway link. I mean, is that railway link the current plans that are in place to include a light rail in and around Cork City or is it part of this solely part of the development? Well, light rail is part of the plans in Cork City. But once again... This, this again, I'm not going to preempt the planning process. Mm. Uh, obviously, um, whether there will be a bridge or whether there won't be a bridge will very much be down to um, the planning process. The planning application will be submitted. It will be it will be considered by the planners, 
And obviously it will have a knock-on effect in so many different other aspects of the development plan, which Cork City Council planners are going through all the public submissions at the moment. There was well over 400 public submissions to Cork City Development Plan, and this plays right into it. Um, this is a big part of it for, for, for Cork City Council. And, um, yeah, the, the bridge and is part and parcel of the proposal. But, again, I must emphasise it is a proposal. It will be part of the planning application and part of the planning process. So what comes out of it, we'll just have to wait and see. But we're moving into... Uh, a new era and you know isn't it great to see um, Cork City uh, you know changing and uh, you know developing developing areas of the city and, and breeding life into these areas and it so gives another powerhouse for Ireland as well Dublin is where a lot of people would see is the majority of big investments go to this will offer uh, an alternative to companies who want to locate in Ireland and now they'll have that modern feel that a lot of companies want to I know people are against glass buildings and as they call it, glass cages going up in those areas of the city but if they don't go up then the jobs may not come our way and there's been a call for over and over again for a second powerhouse in the city or in Ireland yeah, well, Cork City, we are developing, and come 2040, um, we, we hope to have a half a million people living in our city. Uh, we are um, fast becoming, and we are the second city. We are a counterbalance to Dublin from so many different perspectives. And to be quite frank and honest with you, I mean, Cork is a very compact city. It's easier. It's easy to get around. You want to go from point A to point B, you get there an awful lot faster mm. than you would if you were in a city like Dublin. Yeah, planning is a lot better for Cork, I think, than Dublin is is kind of all over the place. But planning is better in getting around the city and everything is in one specific location rather than having an an out, like I suppose the nighttime sector in Cork, the nighttime economy is all located more or less in the city centre. Whereas in Dublin, it seems to be, you know, jumping in different parts of the city centre. Yeah, well, Dublin's a very um, spread out city. It is the biggest city in the country. And, uh, but we are... um, developing as um, a powerhouse, really, as, as, as the second city. And as people from Cork will tell you, we, we like to call ourselves the real capital. There's a bit of, um, I suppose, cheekiness in that, in that statement. But by the same token, um, you know, in so many different, from so many different perspectives, uh, we, we are the real capital, uh, you know, when it comes to things like volunteerism and lots of other areas. We are way up there at the top of the tree. But this development for our city in the Docklands is, is, is going to be a huge, significant development from, from both a, a, a commercial uh, business perspective, um, from a tourism perspective, and from, for people who can live and work in the city, which is of critical importance moving forward as, as, our, as our population grows and expands. And we do like to think that we can attract um, foreign direct investment into our city because we will, this development will be about 10 minutes from the airport. It will be on the banks of the, of the it'll be very close to Port of Cork. Um, we have the railway station just across the river. We have a bus station. So from, from a transport perspective and from an accessibility perspective, it ticks all the boxes. And I've mentioned this before on the show. We, I think, that is it the second most natural harbour in the world we have here in Cork. It should be used more when you look at other cities across the world. I mean, Sydney is the largest harbour. Look how they have used theirs over the years. Now, money is a, it was the object, I suppose, there, and we can't compare ourselves to bigger countries. But uh, we should aim to be like those in a way, I suppose. So when we look at the planning timeline, Joe, you mentioned it there a while ago. If the planning goes through next year, then it goes. It's assessed by the council. How soon yeah. could something like this start off? If 
everything was to go the, the way it is supposed to go okay maybe not everything will get, get included but overall if the buildings are, are to get to go ahead uh, how soon could you reckon we could see the diggers coming in and changing the landscape of the city docklands well that will depend on the planning process obviously and uh, I'd love to give you a date JP <coughs> unfortunately no, c- could it take a year but, two years yeah it could take a year year and a half maybe but you know in fairness to our developers here in the city O'Callaghan Properties and we also have JCD Developments and um, you know when they start a project they move very quickly just take one look at Navigation House that's a magnificent development right on the banks of our river um, and uh, O'Callaghan Properties are have their fingerprints all over this development down on, on, on this side of the and you look at the other side of the river Horgan's Key a fantastic development in there as well um, you know Penrose Penrose Dock recently opened as well I mean all these buildings uh, went up, uh, one Albert Key. They went up very, very quickly. So in terms of timeline, once the developer gets the green light and um, all the boxes are ticked from a planning perspective, uh, funding is sorted and, um, you know, and, and they're given the green light to start developing. These things do take um, on a life of their own. They do move very, very quickly. So, so uh, yeah, the planning part of it is the biggest part of it. And, Joining the dots on the planning process is of critical importance and making sure everything, uh, I suppose, is, is, is done properly on that front and then we can move forward with it. OK, Michael is in Clonakilty. He's asking about the RNH Hall. That is to go w- with this development. That would be just demolished, I would presume, and replaced then with new buildings. But uh, one point that has been made over the last few months, and this is to do with those who have worked over the years in the Docklands, the Cork Dockers, they've called for a statue on the Docklands. Is that something we'd like to see maybe included in the planning that maybe O'Callaghan properties could uh, include a statue for the dockers or maybe the city council could work for them and to have that located in the new development? Well, listen, what a fantastic idea. I mean, that's part of our heritage in fairness. And there is a motion actually, um, I chair, as, as Lord Mayor, I did chair the commemoration committee and I know there was a motion put in there. I think it was by, <coughs> excuse me, I think it was by Councillor Kenneth Collins. And uh, there was a motion in there in terms of uh, commemorating the Dockers and putting a, <clears throat> a statue down um Kennedy Key. So I'm sure some sort of, um, it, can, it can be done, you know. But you mentioned the maritime um, heritage that Cork has. I mean, that's that's how Cork City ended up where it is, uh, through its maritime heritage. And the wheel has turned full circle here. Um, and as Lord Mayor, I, you know, every visitor to the office of Lord Mayor in City Hall always commented on the, um, the we were adjacent to the, the river, etc., how the river flows through the city, uh, and Cork Harbour being such a beautiful harbour, particularly visit, visitors to our country, not just to our city. And they were always amazed at the beauty of our harbour. And, you know, isn't it great to see Port of Cork going from strength to strength now down in Ring of Skiddy? But you are right. Uh, we need to embrace uh, our maritime heritage from so many different perspectives. And there's so many opportunities out there. And there's no better people than the Irish people to, for, for, in terms of innovativeness, etc., in coming up with, because um, I know that uh, Minister Simon Coveney is pushing very, very hard to um, get the Admiral's, Admiral's Cup here um, mm-hmm. in a couple of years' time. And that would be a game changer in terms of a financial um, windfall for Ireland and for the southern region, which is of critical importance. So hope, I know a decision won't be made on that until sometime in the spring, but wouldn't it be wonderful for Cork, um, the Docklands area, uh, Cork City and, and the Cork Harbour area? And as you said quite correctly, say JP, the, the, 
it would really enhance um, our maritime, I suppose, heritage here in Cork City. Um, you know, if we did, if we were lucky enough to get the Admiral's Cup here to Cork, which is of critical importance. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great if we had um, this development in, say, 10 years' time, this development is in situ. You have people living in beautiful apartments overlooking our beautiful River Lee. And you have yachts sailing up and down the harbour. We have river taxis and God knows what else. Pleasure craft coming up and down the river, etc., etc. And listen, we need to use our river more. Uh, all European cities do. But we have um, the second biggest uh, man-made um, harbour uh, or natural harbour in the world uh, behind Sydney as you quite correctly say, and we do, need to, we do need to embrace it and we do need to make the best of what we have. Well, that would be amazing if the Admiral Cup came because I think that would showcase Cork then to the whole world. That would be shown worldwide. Yeah. Uh, not only the Outer Harbour, but I think from Tivoli into the city centre would look amazing if that was to arrive here. For the moment, Joe, it's good news anyhow, at least we're talking about today and we'd welcome yeah. those developments on the South Docks and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, JP. And that is Councillor Joe Kavanagh, City Councillor. Uh, on that welcome news, I'm sure people would uh, welcome any positive change uh, in the Cork area. This will bring more homes, it will bring more businesses and will bring more opportunities to the Cork area and redevelop our docklands. Your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-1031. And Addison has been in touch. And regarding the EPA, she has a different view to the majority of our callers this morning. She feels that the people that are texting and calling and want their home fires to continue burning are being selfish. Now a lot of calls and comments in on the various discussions we've been having this morning on the various items but one that has got people really annoyed is the Environmental Protection Agency we spoke with at the start of the programme and they feel that the, not only here in Cork but the whole country and Irish people as a whole, we need to break our emotional bond with the cosy fire and basically get rid of our home fires. Now a lot of people as we heard across the show not happy with this and just a few more comments in on this issue first of all Pat and we did ask the EPA when they were on about this and they basically said this was not their concern their concern overall was what was happening on the ground here by way of uh, cars trucks and the home fire because Pat is saying one jet plane is more dangerous than a thousand coal fires what will the EPA do about this and basically Pat nothing and thank you for your text. Uh, somebody else saying that, are they all a bunch of aliens or what, that they don't need any heat? Uh, surely we all need to heat ourselves. Pat is on Twitter and he's regarding McCroom because we mentioned McCroom. That was one of the towns, one of the worst towns for air quality across Munster. And he explained the reason for this. But Pat on Twitter to at C103 Cork is saying maybe that is because of the constant traffic jams in the town of McCroom causing pollution. You can't blame everybody living there. There is constant traffic. Surely that is having a negative effect while John and Cove says that the EPA would want to come down to Cove when there is a ship in they have multiple generators on to charge the ships and then they want to come into Cork Harbour and look at all the factories in the harbour area what are they pumping into the atmosphere every day asks John and Cove and then Alison has a different view than what we've been hearing across the morning. I'll bring that to you very shortly because Martina earlier was speaking in McCroom about the fact that while they're now telling us to get rid of our home fires, uh, peat was something we had in this country and they got rid of that as well. Well, that could be 
what might have to change we'll have to wait and see there's a new Senate bill going through and this once again could allow for peat harvesting in Ireland and to stop the expensive importation we are doing at the moment of bringing peat from other countries into Ireland the bill has been welcomed by a number of industry groups and it's been introduced by the leader of the Senate that is Regina Doherty of Fine Gael who said it would end the Irish horticultural growers resilience on the expensive peat imports as a growing medium for their produce and just to allow them extract Irish peat as part of the Just Transition Plan that was implemented now in September. Uh, figures were revealed uh, that 4,000 tonnes of peat had to be imported from Latvia because national supplies here in this country had been exhausted. So while we're telling our own not to uh, harvest peat, we then had to import it from other countries for here in Ireland. And Martina uh, in McCroom making that point earlier that, you know, we do things like this and now we're again re-looking at this and changing what was introduced. Anyhow, Alison says, uh, JP, I've been listening to the comments coming in uh, by people who were against the EPA and the burning of home fires. But I agree with the EPA. People need to cop on. They are so selfish. What about their children and their grandchildren? Who will they have to live with? They will have to live with the rising temperatures. Why? Because of our behaviours. We got rid of our fire in our home with a different ecosystem now in place. Now, I know not everyone can afford this, but really think of the future. We are destroying ourselves with these smoky fires, says Alison. Walk around any town in the last few evenings and you can barely breathe with the smoke coming out of the chimneys while those inside cuddle up with their cosy fires. But while they cuddle up, it's their grandchildren and their children will suffer in the future. People need to cop on. Alison says we've got so selfish in the last two years. Not too sure as a COVID or not, but people really need to think about the environment and the future of our world. And that's Alison's view, different than uh, the majority that came in this morning. But your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. On other issues we discussed, first of all, on the issue of COVID and people not able to get PCR tests in the Cork area. And even at that, we did look this morning at other counties surrounding Cork. And Kerry only had two available this morning, temporary, similar. So it's an issue across all counties, really, in the Munster area. Waterford was totally booked out as well, as was Limerick at the nearest for Limerick was County Clare and Shannon and Cork totally booked out so it's not just a Cork issue it's across Munster and indeed the wider country but Reddy on WhatsApp says we are all prone to confusion on public health best practice today my personal reasoning is that if I have a cold or indeed flu symptoms I should isolate to avoid passing on colds or flus it's as simple as that says Reddy on WhatsApp what a texter is saying hi John Paul when there are no PCR tests available for most people so there there are people not being tested and therefore how can they say the positivity rate is decreasing when all people who are sick are not being tested? It looks good for the government and Nefesh to say that but it's not a true picture of what's really happening. They seem to think we are all stupid and accept whatever they say. Paper never refuses ink, says this texter. We know a person who went around and did not do a test for 10 days after being told to do so by the company he works in. 
He was a close contact of a person with COVID. He went around for 10 days and eventually he was made do a test and he was positive. He went around as if he hadn't got it at all. He went into pubs and shops. So how much of this is going on if we're aware of one person that has done this? And this happened during the last wave, uh, says that texter on 0862103103 regarding the issue of COVID, even though Paul Reid was on the news saying they're under pressure, as we know, in the health service. And he says we're in the middle of the fourth wave. And earlier on this morning, we were told that the the figures looking ahead to the next few weeks are, are looking good and that we seem to be stabilising coming out of this fourth wave. And as a result of that, Neffet tomorrow won't be looking or advising of any further restrictions or any need for restrictions in this country, which is very welcome and positive news. But then we hear mixed views uh, there earlier on our news from Paul Reid. So, uh, and that's a very good point then from that text. And maybe that's why things are, are not, you know, so bad if people can't go and get a test. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. At the moment, there is no talk of restrictions. And uh, from the modelling they do, it looks like we are coming out the other side of the current wave that's today's news. Tomorrow could be different. Uh, thank you for your text on roads. And I mentioned earlier that here in Cork, we have the in Munster in general, we have some of the unsafest roads in the country. And seemingly Dublin and the Midlands had the safest. Connacht second. And in here in Cork, of course, we're down the pile because why? I was mentioning the truck protest that is happening today in Dublin and I was mentioning all the M's. That's the motorways, the M1, the M2, the M4. And when you come to Cork, what M do we have? One M. So that could be a lot of the reason for bad roads. If you want to travel around here in this county, you will be on some roads good, some national routes, which are like minor roads and then minor roads not so great and it's always been a, a cause of concern here on the I suppose the size of our county but why don't we have more motorways for the size of a county like Cork and the only one that we have is the one out of Cork to Dublin and we're lucky to have the Ballincollig bypass that's not motorway status though even though the, the speed limit is 120k it's still not motorway status and I suppose as the works are going on in Dunkettle it's welcome but again that road to East Cork as it's 120 in most of the way nearly as far as Middleton um, just beyond Carrick Tool there are changes and I know there's roadworks at the moment so the speed limit is different and varies in parts of that but again that's not motorway status so uh, and, and there are good roads then if you look at the roads I mentioned earlier the N73 you know the bypasses for Killa and Castle Marsh are delays there the North Ring not fit for purpose the N71 a main route through West Cork not fit for purpose you know they can't handle the current traffic of today uh, they were never meant and built for what we are doing today and the, the amount of travelling people are doing today so you would see why then safety conditions and the looking uh, looking at the road safety across Europe this was but here in Ireland why we would fare poorest here in Cork is due to the road conditions and on that John is in skull. And John says that roads around the West Cork area where he is travelling, he said recently he was watching RTE News and they had remembrance for all those who had lost their lives on the roads. But John keeps to the speed limit and he constantly gets people flashing their lights and coming close up behind him, trying to get him to speed up. He thinks there should be more speed vans on the roads. He says everyone seems to be impatient on the roads these days. Do you agree with John? Uh, certainly people are more impatient on the roads and that was something that was that had happened before the very first lockdown and everybody thought oh well you know people will have changed their mindset and no once everything has started going back again uh, the impatient driver came out and everybody is very impatient on the roads so is that something everybody else is noticing as well uh, John and Skull is your views are welcome on that and staying with the road team uh, as you know the truck drivers they are in and around Dublin today and the reason they are protesting is because of the rising cost of 
fuel, petrol and diesel that we will go into more detail on tomorrow's show. Uh, but yesterday in the Doyle and outside Leinster House, first of all, the independent TD for Limerick, Richard O'Donoghue, he drove the cab of a truck uh, into the car park in Leinster House after having a row with ushers. He was proving a point about the rising cost of fuels. And then when he was in the Doyle, he did have a discussion with on Taoiseach Michal Martin about this he feels that the rural people are being hit the most and he started his discussion on energy prices in general and this was outside of petrol and diesel the likes of electricity and our gas bills and oil bills all going up. Here's some of that exchange yesterday in the Dáil and this is Micheál Martin responding first of all to him on the energy prices. And I fully accept the pressure that energy prices currently is causing to many, many families and households out there. But it's very much a global phenomenon. The European Central Bank are saying it'll be short term uh, and that uh, towards uh, early, uh, certainly after the first quarter next year, they should begin um, to recede. Um, and uh, so we'd have to keep monitoring that and review that very closely to see what further helps we can give. Taoiseach, your answer to the people was to put a 2% increase on, on, the, on the fuel. That was your answer to the people. Who pays the most, Taoiseach? Okay, you're taking 45% of a wage. Now, what I'm asking you today is, I've asked you about the rural person because there's no infrastructure, and you mentioned infrastructure two or three times through your deliberations. If I was living in this city, I would have the choice of a Lewis, a train, a Dart, a bus service. I could cycle, I could walk. There is none of that outside the city boundary. And your failure to introduce infrastructure outside the city areas is what I'm talking about. So it's a rural person which is outside, and the famous red cow is rural. Everything outside is rural. And everyone outside of that do not have infrastructure, so they pay the most. But if you live in the city, you have a choice. We have no choice in the rural areas. That's why I'm asking you to, to look at something, reduce the VAT, or we won't have food on our tables come this winter. Yeah, first of all, um, the, in terms of rural learning, the major initiative was taken unprecedented in terms of increased allocation of resources for a rural transport scheme. Um, the only city that has Lewis and Dart is Dublin. Other cities don't have that. They are trying to develop a more expanded bus network. That, that's acknowledged. Uh, we're the, we're, we are one of the only, only a few country, EU countries uh, that, by way of special derogation from the general European Union rules, already apply a reduced rate of VAT of 13.5% to energy prices. Um, and under EU rules, our reduced rate of VAT of 13.5% on energy prices cannot be reduced below 12%. If we were to attempt to reduce the rate to, say, 9 I'm informed, uh, for a few months, the VAT rate would afterwards revert to the standard rate of 23%. Uh, so our special derogation would be lost. So that VAT option isn't as simple as was presented and has been presented in the House at all. It could have worse uh, repercussions down the line. Um, but what is important is that we do look at ways to cushion uh, the increase the impact that increases in energy prices is having on families and we are keeping that under review. So I'm not too sure what you make of that interaction between the independent Limerick TD Richard O'Donoghue and on Taoiseach Micheál Martin but your viewers are welcome it is something we are going to discuss in more detail on tomorrow morning's show and at the moment in Dublin the truckers are protesting over the increasing cost in fuel and I think the Limerick TD there Richard O'Donoghue would voice a lot of people's opinions here when he uh, outlines the frustration in rural Ireland where we have no other means to get around 
just by driving a car and while there is public transport it does not suit everybody for times it's not frequent enough for times unlike other cities across Europe and indeed here in Ireland mainly in Dublin and I know cities like Cork uh, Waterford Galway have very good bus timetables as well uh, but overall if you go outside the cities you will need your own transport to get in uh, I suppose in particular outside areas where there isn't trains as well or train services anyhow your views are welcome as I said we will discuss that in more details on tomorrow's show and on the EPA uh, on data centres as well this is James Bandon who says planning recommendations in the state that data centres should have diesel generators attached when they are built and that came out this week that does not make any sense when then we hear the EPA are saying about household fires very true and they're going to implement this regarding diesel generators and then the EPA are giving you about household fires. Well, yeah, it makes sense if you're going to have these data sensors then with these generators attached to them to run those sensors. Thank you, James and Bandon. Patrick is in Kinsale. He says, what about all these fires you mentioned a while ago and all the planes? He was up near Shannon Airport and he says the heat out of a jet engine is unbelievable. And what about all the factories then around the country? Well, we did put that to the EPA and they basically uh, more or less say to us that they're just concentrating on the what's happening in the ground. That's to do with the fires and indeed uh, transport. Uh, thank you for your views on that. Your questions for Peter Doddle are welcome. He'll join us very shortly. 1850 333 103 or text or WhatsApp 0862103103. I have a number of queries that come into us as well over the last few days. I'll get to those next. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Cronin Electrical and Cool Main near Kilbritton they have a Christmas lights display it's on each day from 4pm to 11pm it's an aid of CUH charity funds donations are welcome on site or go online to idonate.ie forward slash Christmas lights and Friday night bingo in Mallow GAA complex it's cancelled at the complex this coming Friday and that is due to the rising numbers of Covid cases and Blackwater Sub Aqua Club they have postponed their open nights which were scheduled for this Thursday and Friday if you were interested interested though in finding out more about the club you can contact them through their Facebook page called Kenneth on 086 101 8424 after 6 o'clock. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 And on your home fires I have still mixed views on this. A lot of people don't agree with what Alison said that people were being selfish lighting those fires but Dan says JP I think we are gone bananas with these green head balls. Did you notice the change in the air last night walking around where you live due to home fires which we have had here for hundreds of years also have you lettuce and scallions in your window boxes as per Eamon Ryan we only contribute a percentage of global warming says Dan and Liz says it's time we copped on on this small island we are not polluting the world says Liz and onto something totally different because we got a number of queries across the week one from Margaret and more on the bus stop at New Two Pot House and also mentioned was Grenade. Well, for new two pot house, there was approval given earlier this year by Bus Aaron, and I know local councillors were also fighting for this. We did get onto Bus Aaron, and they issued us a statement during the week, and they say that Expressway 
uh, which is run uh, by Bossiran, it's delighted to announce two new stops on their Expressway Route 51, the Cork to Galway service. The new bus stops will be in operation from Sunday, December the 5th, and from then, Route 51, that's the Cork to Galway service, will be stopping in Rath Duff and in New Two Pot House. The revised timetable for Route 51 uh, for this service, including the two new stops, can be found on the expressway.ie website. And as we are approaching a busy time of the year, Bus Aaron say, Expressway is encouraging customers to reserve their seats online, which means a priority boarding and a guaranteed seat. And a customer seeking to reserve a seat can do so by visiting expressway.ie. They also say that services are operating at 100% capacity and passengers should continue to wear face coverings within bus stations and on board our services throughout their entire journey. But from Sunday, December the 5th, uh, those bus stops will be in action in Rat Duff and New Tupot House. Uh, they'll be serviced with the Cork to Galway route. That's the route 51 on the expressway service. So hopefully that helps people out there who are looking for that information in those areas of Granada and New Tupot House. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And Peter Doddall of the Irish Gardener.com joins us as usual on a Wednesday afternoon. Afternoon to you, Peter. On a cold and wet Wednesday, John Paul. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine. Yeah, it is. It's a cold one out there. But still, we've had a number, uh, an amount of gardening questions in. So we'll get through as many as we can. And first of all, we'll go to Mary in Rathcormack. And Mary says she grew butternut squash this year. Will they keep until Christmas? She wants to cook soup with them for Christmas Day. I hate these questions where they get to preserving stuff because I'm not. I, I'm never an expert on it, so I don't know. Um, I would say, if you like, I would say yes. If you keep them somewhere like in a cold room or a cold store, I would say yes. Um, they certainly need to be harvested now and bought in. Uh, don't leave them out; they're trying to mush. So I would say yes. Actually, Christmas only a month away. Yes, definitely. But keep them somewhere cool. Okay, Jonathan Glantan, he grew a bee garden with sunflowers and wildflower seeds. Now, what should he do with it next spring to make sure it's rejuvenated for the summer ahead and that it will be there for next summer? What's, what advice can you give him for that? Well, the answer to do there really is nothing. Now, it does depend on the mixture of the, the wildflower mixture that he put in, but the majority of wildflower mixtures contain uh, a kind of selection of annual plants, biennials and perennials. Now, what, in effect, what that means, John Paul, is you get a certain amount of colour from some plants year one, other plants year two, and more plants in year three. So a wildflower area is always a kind of long-term project. It's three years or more before it really looks at its best. And what it looks like in year one is very different to what it looked like in year four. But they've going on and on about it. What you, what you should do, really, is uh, the, the, the flowers that can flower during the summer, like your sunflowers and things like this, will naturally set seeds. So the seeds will naturally drop if the birds haven't got them, the animals haven't got them. Uh, they'll drop and they, they'll germinate again in next spring or over the winter. So uh, what you should really do is trim the area, let's say, in September, October. If you haven't done it, it's probably not too late to do it, though there's probably not that many seeds left of it. Um, trim it, leave the trimmings on the ground for a few weeks so the seeds will go back into the soil, then collect them after a few weeks into the compost bin, uh, and really just leave it to nature then. The seeds, some will germinate and some won't, but the majority of them will germinate again next year. You'll have the biennials, which germinated this year, will flower next year, and you'll have the start of the perennials too, 
in year two. But as I say, then year three onwards, it gets better and better. So every autumn, spin at leave them for a few weeks and remove them. OK, Kay is in Toker. Uh, she's been given a few bags of daffodil bulbs, which should have gone into the ground last month. She wants to know, uh, could she still plant them now? They shouldn't have gone into the ground last month. It's, 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 it was 16, 17 degrees up to last week. So no, you're, it's only now, really, is the... the when, when there's a different temperatures, uh, I feel bulbs, spring bulbs really do better if they're left till the temperatures drop before planting. So really, a, a absolute perfect time, perfect time to plant them. Okay, uh, Ted is in Mallow and he wants to know, is it a good time to spread moss killer on his lawn? And what is an eco-friendly way to kill the grass and weeds growing back in the cracks in his driveway? Uh, the eco-friendly way to do that is get down on your hands and knees, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcore. Yeah, there are. There are obviously, there are plenty of weed killers out there. I'm not, I'm not a, a fan of using any of them. Even the ones that call themselves organic, they're, they're, they tend to be based on acetic acid and things like that, which is, you know, it can be quite harmful to, to, to it can be quite a harmful thing to be spreading in the garden. Um, but, but acetic acid, which is in effect vinegar uh, of a horticultural grade, is, is what is sold as organic weed killers. You could try that, but the problem is with any of these weed killers, and this is why glyphosate, which is in Roundup and other weed killers, is so successful. The problem is that uh, the, the, the vinegar is, is what's called a contact-acting herbicide. So what that means, John Paul, is it only kills what it comes in contact with. It doesn't travel through the whole plant, the whole weed, which Roundup and glyphosate obviously does, which is why it's so effective. Um, but really, if it's possible, just get down there with a good, like, a decent yard brush, or you can get tools that, that kind of, uh, that they clean in between paving stones. Uh, you might think it's a tedious job, and it will take a while, but it's very rewarding when it's done, and it's the most eco-friendly way of all. Uh, what was the first part of his question there again, John Paul? Sorry. For his first, this is Ted and Mallow. He wants to know, is it a good time to spread a moss killer on his yes. lawn? Uh, I would say no. What I would do is put on the lawn gold when to protect. And the reason I say that is even though the, with the frost now, it's probably a bit too late even for that, because what you're doing then is it's all about helping the lawn to help itself. If you use a moss killer, the majority of them are based on, on sulfate of iron, which acidifies the soil. Uh, and it will kill the moss in the, in the short term. But because it acidifies the soil, it creates a, a low pH in the soil, which is the ideal conditions for moss to grab a, a new foothold. So by actually putting on sulfate of iron and these things, you're creating conditions which moss is going to love, so you're ensuring that you'll have it as a problem in years to come. Much better now to take action uh, by scarifying it. I would leave the scarifying off in the spring, but scarify it in the spring and treat it with something like lawn gold, which will increase the pH because that's creating alkaline conditions and moss won't grow in a limey soil. So better to do it that way. I'd leave well enough for now, I'm afraid. Uh, scarify it in, in March, let's say, and put on something like the lawn gold at that point. OK, hopefully that helps uh, Ted there in Mallow. Now, Morris is in the city. He wants to know, is it too late to cut back his roses? He did not want them cut back while they are still flowering. It's neither too late nor too early, John Paul. So you know, your, your window for roses is any time between, let's say, the kind of end of October uh, and the end of February. Uh, so if you've been enjoying rose blooms, why not? Why not leave them on and enjoy the few that are there during the winter? They won't look as well as they did during the summer, but uh, provided this cold spell doesn't last for too long, you should, you, you'll have roses for another while yet. If the cold spell is, 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 is knocking them on the head now and you want to cut them back, absolutely, you're, you're fine to do it now or as I say, any time still between now and February. And Molly is in Blackpool. She has apple trees for many years. Now, this summer, uh, the apple trees, she said, they got woolly. Uh, and what has caused this? 
most likely a thing called woolly ape. But the, the, uh, what she says, woolly, woolly or woolly, woolly. Yeah, I don't know. It's something growing yeah. on it, or, or what? What she means by woolly, but With, yeah, without seeing it, it's hard to hard to say for sure. But but there's a thing called woolly ape, uh, which is an aphid, which is a soft sucking kind of tiny, tiny fly. Uh, and, and when they're 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 hatching, when they're laying their larvae, and that they have this kind of woolly appearance, hence the name woolly ape. Uh, and they will feed on the sap of of the stem and of the leaf, the, the midrib of the leaf, uh, which causes causes the curling of the leaf. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 what caused them? Who knows? That they're just an insect, uh, which is probably a good sign to see that we still have some insects left. But um, uh, the best 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 treatment for them is kind of prune off infected leaves and shoots if you see them, uh, and to treat the tree with something like uh, a garlic wash. Which is a, if you Google a garlic wash for plants, you you'll see many different menus or uh, recipes. Which is where you you treat something to be the apple tree, could be any plant, with the, this garlic wash. And what that does is it deters, it makes it unpalatable to aphids to attack it. And that's probably, in my my experience, the best way to prevent aphids uh, attacking fruit trees. Okay, and a listener here wants your advice on this because they have a new lawn, Peter, and they would like to know where they can get one of those slim trees that would not shed their leaves in the winter. Uh, they want one of those for their gardens. And what's your advice on that? Without meaning to, to be a, give a short answer, they just call to the local garden centre. Um, it, it depends on what tree you want. Yeah, so it depends on what type of tree. Get a photograph, even take one from online and bring it to your local garden centre, show them what you're talking about. Uh, and they, they'll give you the proper advice. But with garden centres, what, what many people may not realise is just if something isn't in stock doesn't mean that they can't get it. So so bring a photograph of what you're looking for to your local garden centre and try there, I would say. Michael is in Whitechurch. He has boxes hedging and the leaves are dying on it. Is there something he can spray on it at this stage? It depends what's causing it, unfortunately. It could be box blight. It could be the, the, the box moth. Uh, there's several things, so... Yes, there are treatments, but really you want to get a handle on it first as to what it is so that you're not putting on the wrong thing. Probably do it no harm just to give it a a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water now all around the the base of the soil and the plant. So if it is box blight, that will help. Don't prune it now under any circumstances. It's far too cold uh, and it won't won't respond well. So treat it with some copper sulfate and water uh, and feed it come the springtime. Don't feed it now, but feed it come early March. even something like sulfate of iron in that situation to drive on a bit of green growth. Or there are there is a range of products called top boxes, which is just for box plants. One is for feeding, uh, and one of their products is for counteracting box blight. But I've been trying to get some copper sulfate on it now, and then leave the feeding off for the spring. Okay, and on WhatsApp, a person asking, "Can I cut back a Christmas cactus now, Peter?" You could, but you'll probably lose any flowers that might come for Christmas. <laughs> But yeah, you won't harm it by cutting it back. Uh, you can do it realistically any time, uh, any time at all, because you, you have it indoors. But if you cut it back now, you won't. Yeah, that's fine. But but you will lose any flowers that may be yet to come. Okay, hi to Therese, by the way, who sent in a picture of her roses and they're in full bloom at the moment. Uh, lovely uh, pink uh, roses. So thank you for the picture, Therese. And uh, finally, Maura, uh, Peter, what are the top five flower seeds you would recommend we plant now? Maura does not have a greenhouse or a tunnel. So what advice could you could you give for Maura on the top five flower seeds, Peter? Well, that's a difficult one because it depends what you're what you're growing for. You know what I mean. So if you're growing for kind of yeah. summer bedding plants, which is what a lot of the seeds would be, you're, you're probably still a bit too early, particularly if you don't have a indoor space like a greenhouse or a polytunnel. But if you if you're happy to kind of give over your kitchen window so to some seeds going, you, 
you could certainly try any of the kind of hardy annuals, uh, which are annuals as a plant that just last one year, but hardy means it can tolerate a small bit of cold. So if you grow your some hardy annuals, let's say, for example, your sweet pea uh, now indoors, that means you'll have much stronger plants quicker earlier in the season next year for planting out. So sweet pea is one you could do that way. Sunflowers, in fact, are one you could do that way. Petunias, maybe. Uh, uh, there was another one that came into my head there. Stock another nice one. How many is that, John Paul? Is that four or five? Four, yeah, keep going. One more. <laughs> another, <laughs> Even another though you kind of had a double whammy there, but come on. <laughs> yeah, another lovely one that you could try is uh, Nigella or Love and a Mist. That's one that, that will look lovely next year, but that's probably best, best left till next spring, actually. So I suppose if, if you're trying to get my five favourite summer flowers, whether you plant them now or not, it would be, I think, maybe Sweet Pea, Petunia, uh, Love and a Mist. I love, do love the nasturtiums as well, and of course the sunflowers. Uh, the, the, and, and Lobelia and Allison. So a lot of them you could try starting off now, uh, but you'll only have so much kitchen windows and space, I imagine. So maybe just pick one or two of them and leave the rest off to the spring because you, you wouldn't get away with throwing any of them outdoors at the moment. Well, a great advice there, Maura. Plenty to choose from. And very finally, uh, and we've only 20 seconds left, Michael and Bantry. Uh, can you mulch a rose bed with seaweed in the spring, Peter? Absolutely. Anytime. I would do it over the winter, ideally. But, uh, but yes, you can in the spring, yes. And another question, do I need to feed, nourish my lilac tree now? No, I wouldn't be feeding anything now, but give it a mulch, certainly, which is just spreading something over the soil, like farmyard manure or seaweed or bark. Yeah, certainly give any, any anything to the soil right now, but I wouldn't be feeding as such, no. Okay, Peter, as always, thanks for your advice. Are you out about with talks, or are they still online or going online? Everything, mostly online at the moment. Mm. Everything's online at the moment. So I'm just uh, yeah, pretty busy in the online world right now. Thank you to God. <laughs> That's good. Well, uh, best of luck with that, Peter. We'll chat to you next Wednesday. Thanks as always for your gardening advice. That is Peter Doddle there, theirishgardener.com. You'll find him, or indeed, under the Irish Gardener on Facebook and on Insta. Uh, That's it from us. And we'll chat to you tomorrow morning from 10 a.m. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. And tomorrow morning from 10, we will discuss and continue our discussion on the rising fuel prices and should the PUP payment be reinstated given there are so many jobs available that are more tomorrow from 10 have a good Wednesday I'm John Paul McNamara Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.